Hello everyone and welcome back to the MTG Novels Project. Today we're continuing with Chapter 3 of the novels Planeswalker. Again, I just want to note that this novel will include spoilers if you haven't read The Thran and the Brothers War. I advise you to read those novels first if you do not want spoilers. Coach at the Carpazar has an excellent rendition of uh, both The Brothers War and The Thran if you're interested. There are links in the description. I also wanted to mention that this work is available both on YouTube and in podcast format. If you would like to listen on either format, there's also links in the description for that. Um, however, I also have a legal note. This is an unofficial audiobook with the original contents belonging to Wizard of the Coast. This content is covered under the Wizard of the Coast 2017 fan content policy. Listener discretion is advised. Chapter 3 Morning came to the Ohran Ridge and found Zancha sitting at the bottom of a transparent sphere as it drifted above springtime mountain meadows. The sphere was as big as Zansa was tall and had been a gift from Urza, or more accurately, the artifact that had produced it had been Urza's gift. He devised the cyst to preserve her as she followed him from world to world. A deliberate yawn and a mnemonic rhyme drew a protective oil out of the cyst. Depending on the rhyme, the oil expanded into the buoyant sphere or ripened into a tough, flexible armor. Urza had taught Zancha the rhyme for the armor. The sphere was a result of Zancha's curiosity and improvisations. Urza complained that she transformed his Thran-inspired artifact into a Phyrexian abomination. The complaint, though sincere, had always perplexed Zancha. The Thran, as Urza described them, believed that sentence and artifice must always be separate. Zancha's sis wasn't remotely sentient, and she supposed she could have dug it out of her stomach. But it had become part of her, no different than arms, or Urza's faceted eyes. Besides, she hadn't discovered how to make her sphere. Urza would ha have had to provide her with food, clothing, and all the other things a flesh and blood person required. Kazancha thought she was almost as old as Urza, was inevitably flesh and blood, and just as indisputably Phyrexian. Zancha wheeled the sphere higher, seeking the swift wind streams up well above the mountains. She had a long journey planned and needed strong winds if she was hoping to finish it before Urza returned from the south. The sphere rose until the landscape resembled Urza's tabletop, and the sphere became to tumble. Tumbling never bothered Zancha. With or without the cyst, she had a strong stomach and an unshakable sense of direction. But tumbling wasted energy, and Zampa raised her eyes with level with her shoulders, one straight out in front of her, the other extended to the side. The tumbling stopped. Then she pointed, both arms extended in the direction she was to travel, and rotated her hands so their palm up. She thought of rigging and sails, a firm hand on the tiller board, and the sphere began to move against the wind. It was slow going at first. But before the sun had risen another two handspans, Zancha was scuttled north faster than any horse could run. Zancha couldn't explain how the sphere stayed aloft. It wasn't sorcery. 
She had no talent for color upon the land. Urza swore it wasn't anything to do with him or his artifacts, and refused to discuss the matter. Sancho thought it was no different than running. The whys and wherefores wasn't important, so long as she found what she was looking for and got home safe. But questions lurked where Sancho's memories began. They crept forward once the sphere was moving smartly, and there was nothing to do but think and remember. The beginning was liquid, thick and warm as blood, dark and safe. After the liquid came, light and cold, emptiness and hard edges, a dim chamber in the fane of flesh. The first place she'd known, a soot-stained monolith of Freskia's fourth spear. Her beginning wasn't birth, unless Urza had been born from his mother's body. There's no mothers in the decanting chamber, only metal and leather priests tending stone-gouged vats. The vat piece of the fane of flesh were no great statues. Though compliate, their appliances were mere hooks and paddles, and their senses were no better than the flesh they had been decanted with. They took orders from above. In Phyrexia, there always was above or within, deeper and deeper through the eight spheres to the center, where dwelt the ineffable. He whose name was known but never spoken, lest he awaken from his blessed sleep. Obey, the vat priest said unnecessarily as she shivered and discovered her limbs. A small warm stone fell from her hands. The vat priest had said it was her heart and took it from her. There's a place, they said, in Phyrexia. Everything had a place. Without place, there was nothing where hearts were kept. Her mistakes would be written on her heart, and if she too many mistakes, the ineffable who dwelt at Frexia's cord would make her part of his dreams, and that would be the end of her. Obey and learn. Pay attention. Make no mistakes. Now, follow. Later, when Zanja had crossed more plains and visited more worlds than she could easily count, she realized there was no other place like Frexia. In no other world were there full-grown newts like her, decanted beside a sludge vat. Only Phyrexian newts remembered the first opening of their eyes. Only Phyrexian newts remembered and understood the first words, threats, they heard. In the beginning, there was only the feign of flesh, and she obeyed without question, writhing across the stone floor because she had the strength to walk. Zancha's bones hardened quickly, she learned to tend herself and perform such tasks as were suited to newts. When she had mastered those lessons, the vat priest led her to the teacher te priests, who instructed the newts as they were transformed from useless flecks into complete Phyrexians. The teacher priests, with their, with their recording eyes and stinging switch arms, told her that she was Zancha. Zancha wasn't a name. Now she later came to understand names. When Urza had asked, she had explained that Zancha was the place where she stood, when newts were assembled for instruction, the place where she received food and the box where she slept at night. If days and nights had played a part in her early life, Phyrexia was a world without sun, moon, or stars. Deep in the faint of flex, priests called out the march of time, when she learned, when she ate, when she slept. There's no time for rest. 
no place for companionship. When she returned to her box for sleeping, Zantia dreamt of sunlight, grass, and wind. She might have thought it strange that her mind held images of a place so clearly not Phyrexia, if she'd thought at all. Even now, more than three millennia after her first awakening, Zantia didn't know if she'd be the only newt who dreamed of green, sunlit world, or if the ineffable had commanded the same dreams and longing for every newt that learned beside her. You are newts, and newts you will remain, the teacher priest had taught her. You are destined to sleep in another place, and prepare the ways for those who follow. Listen and obey. There are many other newts in the Fane of Flesh, orgays into cadres, and march together through their educations. All newts began the same way, with meat and bones and blood-filled veins. Then, according to their places, in an ineffable design, tender priests excised their flesh and reshaped their bodies with tough amalgams of metal and oil. And they, they were complicated. After each reshaping, the priests sent the excised flesh and blood to the renderers. Eventually, it was returned to the vats. When the newt was fully reshaped, the tenders immersed it in the glistening oil. A Phyrexian's first time in the great fountain outside the faint of flesh. When it emerged, the newt was complete and took its destined place in the ineffable ground plan for Phyrexia. Jancha remembered standing in her place on a faint balcony as fully reshaped newts were carried to the fountain. She remembered the cacophony as newly complicated Phyrexians emerged into the glare and glow of the four sphere furnaces. To the extent that any newt felt hope, it hoped for a good compliation, a privileged place. The knowledge that she would forever be bound to a newt's body was greater pain than any punishment the priest had ever lashed across her back. Hatred had no place in Frexia. Contempt replaced hatred and looked down on the special newts whose destiny was to sleep in another place. Zanja looked forward to the moments when she was alone in her box with her dreams. When she went to sleep, dreamed her dreams, she was always done and awoke beneath the bald gray sky of the first sphere. There were different teaser priests tending to her cadre. The new priests were larger than those in the faint of flesh, more metal than leather. They had four feet ar- they had four feet and four arms. Their feet were clawed, and each arm ended in a different metal weapon. They were supposed to protect the newts from dangers of the first sphere. Newts had never dwelt in the first sphere, but the forum teachers were not honored by their new responsibilities. They adored their orders without enthusiasm until one of the newts made a mistake. Newts you are, and newts you shall remain forever, they recited, as they dealt out punishment with one hand after the other. You are destined to sleep on another world, now learn the ways of another world. Listen and obey. Zancha wondered what would have happened if she'd failed to listen or obey. At the time, the no- notion simply didn't occur to her. Life on the first sphere was hard enough without obedi- o- disobedience. The newts were taught farming in preparation for the day when their destiny would be fulfilled. But the slippery dirt of the f- first sphere resisted their every effort. The plows, sickles, holes, and pitchforks they were commanded to use left their muscles aching. The whip, the whip-like razor glass, 
the only plate that they could grow, slashed them bloody, and a harsh light blistered their skin mercilessly. Sancho remembered another nude. Gianza, whose place was near hers in the cadre. Gianza had used a grass sheet to hack off its arm, then shoved the pitchfork shaft into the bloody socket. Gianza was meat by the time they found it, but Zancha and the other newts understood why it had done what it had to. Newts were small and fragile compared to everything else that dwelt in the first sphere. Their uncomplicated bodies suffered injuries rather than malfunctions. They could not be repaired but were left to heal as best they could, which sometimes wasn't good enough. Failed newts, meat newts, were whisked back to the forced spheres for wandering. Waste not, want not. Nothing in Phyrexia was complete without use. Though meat was reviled by the complete, those who transcended their flesh and were sustained by glistening oil. As, as her cadre was reduced to meat, Zanja's place within it changed. Another newt should have been Janja. She should have been Gazikski or Kratenzin. But too much time had passed since the fat priest had organized the cadre. The powers of the mind were as fixed as those soft, battered bodies. Zanja she was and Zanja she remained. Even when the cadre had shrunk so much, the police alloyed it with another, similarly depleted group. Zancha found herself face to face with another Zancha. For both of them, it was confusion. The words grace scarcely existed in Phyrexian, except to describe the clots of slag and ash that culminated beneath the great furnaces. Together, they consulted the priests, as newts were trained to do. The priest judged that as a result of recombination, Neither of them truly stood in the spot of Zancha. The alloyed cadre Zancha was a third newt, who thought of herself as Hoskrin, and wanted no part of this Zancha confusion. Zancha and Zansa were told to recognize new places when they had alloyed cadre or face the lash. Lash or no, the priest's judgment was not acceptable. Places had become names that could not be surrendered, even under the threat of punishment. The Zancha stayed awake when they should have slept in their boxes. They slipped away from the priest and spoke to each other privately. Meeting in private with another newt was something neither had done before. And they negotiated and they compromised, though there was no frexing word for either process. They agreed to make themselves unique. Zancha broke off a blade of the radio-shaped glass and hacked off her hair, growing on the left side of her skull. The other Zancha soaked its arm in an acid stream until it turned to orange. They had rebelled, a word as foreign as the ineffable's true name, and almost as feared. Only the tender priest could change a new shape, and only according to the ineffable's plan. When the Zanchas returned to the place where their cadre gathered for food and sleep, the other newts gaped and turned away, as the teacher priest came rumbling and cranking, crackling from the perimeter. Zanja had taken the older newt's flesh-fingered hand, 3,300 Dalmerian years after, Zancha knew that the touch of flesh was a language into itself, a language that Phyrexia had forgot. At the time, the gesture had confused the priests utterly and left them spinning in their tracks. Not long after, the bald grace guide had bright, brightened painfully. Zancha had recalled her heart and the vast 
fat priest threat. Too many mistakes and ineffable would seize her heart. Until the other Zaja had tumbled into her life, she'd made less than her share of the cadre's mistakes. But perhaps one mistake, if it were great enough, was enough to rouse the ineffable. She thought the shining creature who descended from the too bright sky was the ineffable. He was nothing like the priests she'd seen, and nothing at all like a newt. His eyes were intensity, red and abundance of teeth filled his protruding jaw, and she'd known, perhaps of that jaw with teeth, that it was he, the ineffable was he, and not in any way of the newts and, and priests. You can call me Gix, he said, using his toothsome jaw to shape the words in an almost newtish way, though he didn't have the soft flesh that were useful for eating, but got in the way of a proper Phyrexian pronunciation. Gix was a name, and the first true name Sancha had ever heard, because it couldn't be interpreted as a place within the cadre. Gix was a demon, a Phyrexian who'd looked upon an ineffable's face with his own eyes, and who, while the ineffable slept, controlled Phyrexia. From a new slowly perspective, a demon might well, just as well, be the ineffable. Gix offered his hand. The only sound Zancha heard was a slight whirring as his arm extended, and extended to at least twice his height. As Gix's hand unfurled, black talons sprang, sprang from each elegantly articulated finger. He touched the other Zancha's light beneath its chin. Sancha felt trembling terror in the other dude's hand. The demon's talons looked as if they could pierce a priest's leather carapace or go straight through a newt's skull. A blue-green spark left from the demon to the other Zancha, whose hand immediately warmed, relaxed, and slipped away. Deep, pitching rumbling came out of the demon's throat. He lowered his hand, his head swiveled slightly, and Zancha felt a cold green light take her measure. Gix didn't touch her as he touched the other Zancha. His armor treated, each segment clicking sharply into one behind it, then more whirring as his jaw assumed a sickening smile. Zancha. All remained doubts about the difference between names and places vanished. Zancha had become her true name, and confronted with him, Zancha became her. The notions of male and female, dominance and submission, were already in Zancha's mind rooted in her dreams of soft green grass and yellow sun. You will be ready, the demon said. I made you. No simple rendering for you, Zancha. Fresh meat, fresh blood, brought here, from the place where you will go, there where you will conquer. You have cunning. Their boldness and their unpredictability, Zancha. But your heart is mine. You are mine forever. The demon meant to frighten her, and he did. He meant to distract her, while a green-blue spark shone on his shiny brass brow. In that, he was less successful. Sandra saw the spark race towards her, felt it strike the ridge between her eyes, and bury itself in the bone. The demon had inserted himself in her mind. He made himself glorious before her. At least that's what he tried to do. Sandra felt the herb towards him in awe and obedience. Defeat him with the mind's storm turbulence no complete flexia could experience, except by proxy. 
Geeks make promises in Sancho's mind. Privilege, power, passion. All of them are irresistible and or meant to be irresistible. But Sancho resisted. She made a new place for herself within herself. It wasn't terribly difficult. If there could be two Sanchos within the Condre, there could be two within her mind. A Zancha who belonged to Gix, and a Zancha who did not. She filled the part that belonged to Gix with images from her dreams. But blue skies, green grass, and gentle breezes. The demon drank them down and then spat them out. The light went out of his eyes. He turned away from her to the others in the cadre and found them more entertaining. For her part, Zancha stood very still. She had denied the demon, rejected him before he could reject her. He seemed, She seemed instant annihilation, but the ineffable did not seize her. Whatever else she had done, it was not a great enough mistake to destroy her heart. After stating himself on newtish thoughts and passions, Gix departed. The teacher priests sought to reclaim their place among the cadre, but after the elegance and horror of a demon, they seemed puny. In time, they became afraid of their changes and kept their dishes as the news began to talk more freely among themselves, planning for their glorious futures on other worlds. Sancha maintained her place, eating, sleeping, laboring, and taking part in discussions, but she is no longer like the other newts. That note morning, she created two Zanches in her mind. She had transformed herself, as surely as the tender priest reshaped newts in the fane of flesh. She is aware of herself as no one else except Gix seemed to be. She stumbled into loneliness and seeking relief from that singular ache, she sought out the Zancha whose hand she'd been held. I am without, she said, because at the time she hadn't known a better word. I need to touch you. She offered both hands, but the other Zanja had reeled backwards, screaming as if there were terrible pain. The rest of the cadre swarmed between them, and Zanja was lucky to survive. Zanja remembered the newt that had sawed off its arm with the razor grafts, but what she wanted was an end to her isolation, not the end of existence. She considered running away. The first fear was vast. A note could easily lose herself between the shimmering horizon. But if she placed herself beyond her cadre and its priests, Sancha would slowly starve. Because despite their constant efforts with hoes and plows and sickles, nothing edible grew in the first fierce soil. Except for the meaty sludge brought up from the faint of flesh, there was nothing on Frexia's first fear that a newt could eat. When the cadre closed ranks to keep her from the simmering cauldrons, the priest bought from the fane. Sancha picked up a sickle and cleared a path to her place. Five newts went down with the cauldron for rendering. One priest, too. Sancha went to sleep with a full stomach and the sense that she never reopened her eyes. But neither gifts nor the ineffable came to claim her. Once again, it seemed like she hadn't made a mistake. Others did. Newts began to disappear, a few at a time while they slept. Sancha contrived to make a tiny hole in her box. She kept watch while she'd been asleep, but an ineffable wasn't coming. Instead, priests picked up a box here and box there and took them away. Speaker-equipped priests could spit words faster than soft newt lips. Sometimes they forgot that newts heard faster than they spoke. Sancha had hidden a place of 
on the edge and listened to chittering, metallic conversations. The moment she and the others had been promised since the canting had arrived. Newts were leaving Phyrexia. They were sleeping on another world. One of the priests had gone through the portal. It didn't like what he had found. Its coils had corroded, its joints had clogged, because water, not oil, flowed everywhere. In fountains across the lake and the blinding torrents in the sky, that was something blue, something black, something speckled, and something striped with fire. A worthless place, the priest said. Dust and rust fit only for news. Sancho held her breast as if she held it before Gix. And though she had seen or felt it, she met her water and knew at her bones that a place with water from the sky would be a place where she knew could get lost without necessarily starving. She began to make herself more useful, more visible to the others, in hopes that the priest would pick her box. But though the disappearances counted, the priest did not count her. The cadre withered. Zanja was certain she would take it away, but there simply weren't that many left. Then the taking stopped. The newt stopped and working, sleeping, and working resumed. Zanja wasn't the only one who listened to the priests. None of them liked what they'd heard. There were problems in the other world. Newts had been expected and destroyed. Thirteen centuries after the fact, when she and Urza returned to Dominaria, Sancha had pieced together what might have happened. Attending to some of the oldest chronicles in her collection were counts of strangers, undersized and equally eerie, whose appearance was sudden and throughout what was left of Theresier, some 20 years after the Brothers' War had ended. The Dominarians had guessed what the strangers suddenly tromping through their fields were and where they came from, but ignorance had kept them from ex exterminating the near-defenseless newts. But at the time, in Phyrexia, there's only whispers of disaster, thwarted destiny, and newts transformed to meet in a place where not even the ineffable could find them. The whispers reached Sanchez Cadre along with others that they were to move. New cadres were coming, fresh from the fane. Sanchez caught the sight of them as she dragged her box through the sharp only grass. The replacement cadres were composed of newts who were bigger than her. No two of the other newts were the same size, and every one was obviously male or female. Sanchez had lost her destiny. She and the rest of her depleted cadre became redundant. Even the tools which they turned, um, the sterilization soils was taken away, and a food cauldron which always had arrived promptly before periods of work and sleep, sleep and work, appeared only before sleep. If the cadre was lucky, luck, a word that went with despair, denied their promised place. Some newts cried into their boxes and never came out again. Not Zancha. As regarded luck, Gix was lucky that she didn't know where to find him or how to destroy him. It took time to grow a newt in the vats, and more time to teach it the most basic tasks and transform it into a Phyrexian. So much time that the male and female newts she'd glimpsed farming her cadre's own place must have already been growing in the vats when she... She, the demon had placed his blue-green spark in her skull. 
Gix had lied to her. It was a small thing compared to the other hardships she'd endure. Now that her cadre was redundant, but it sustained her for a long time, until another wave of rumors sweeped across the first sphere. A knife had sliced through the passage that connected the Phyrexia with the other world. It had broken and was beyond repair. Half the larger noobs were trapped on the wrong side. The rest were as redundant as she had become. Without warning, as was usually the case in her Phyrexian life, all the, all the redundant news, including Zatcha, were summoned to the fourth sphere to witness the excoriation of the demon. Gix, the inevitable plan for Phyrexia's glory, had been thwarted by the knife, and someone had to be punished. Gix's luxurious carapace was corroded and burnt before. She had consigned to the seventh sphere her torment. It was a magnificent spectacle. Gix fought like the house bunny was, taking four fellow demons into the reeking furnace with him. Their shrieks were momentarily louder than the roars of the furnace and crowds, though they faded quickly. For a while, Sancho remained in the fourth sphere. She had no place, no assignments. In a place as tightly organized as Frexia, a place less newt could have been noticeable. But Sancho wasn't. She dwelt upon the gremlins, even in Phyrexia, time spent in gremlin town could have been called living, but gremlins were flesh, they had to eat, and Zancha ate with them, as she learned things about the flesh no compliant priest could teach her. That was chapter 3. Thanks for listening.